The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday, the 13th edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Haven't done one in a while. I just haven't. Sorry. We'll see how much more regular these are or aren't. Only a few people said, where's the PFTPM podcast? I was a little disappointed. Wanted a little more of an outcry. Like two or three people wanted the PFTPM podcast. For you two or three people, here it is. And you're in luck on this Friday the 13th, pun intended. Derwin James, the great Florida State safety, visits the program Conversation taped earlier today. Could be the best defensive player in the draft. That's what Josh Norris said on PFT Live Friday morning. Better than Bradley Chubb. Entertaining character. Following in the footsteps of Jalen Ramsey out of Florida State. And you'll hear from Derwin James coming up in a little while. I like him. I like him. And he had one answer that made me laugh out loud. So that's the best I can do to get you to keep listening. Des Bryant was cut today by the Dallas Cowboys. We expected something. When Jerry Jones and Des Bryant sit down together, after all this buildup, the conversation isn't going to be, hey, Des, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Okay. We'll see you at the start of OTAs. We knew something was going to happen. There was speculation that there would be a pay cut. It's quite possible that the Cowboys knew that Des Bryant would not be happy taking less. He not would he would not be happy being part of the team if he was taking less than he was entitled to. I think that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks just simply cut Richard Sherman. Would they have kept him for less? Maybe. Did they want him there feeling disrespected that his contract wasn't being honored even though teams have the right to tear these one-sided contracts up all the time? That's one of the problems with these contracts. They're slanted in favor of the ownership. They can rip them up Subject to any guarantees. Now, the timing bothers me. The Cowboys had every right to continue to squat on Dez. And they could have waited really until just a few days before the start of the regular season and said to Dez Bryant, hey, we want to keep you on the team this year. We want to pay you $5 million. What's he going to say at that point? Who else is going to sign him? Teams have done that for years. The risk you take, though, in the interim is if he shows up for the offseason program and drops a dumbbell on his foot, and re-breaks that fifth metatarsal that he broke a few years ago. And he's done for the year. You owe him $12.5 million, And you're carrying a $16.5 million cap charge. So they knew that they needed him off the books. And out of harm's way. Before the offseason program opened. And they delayed it. Because they could. They have a right to. Would it have been better for Dez. If the Cowboys had cut him. Before. Free agency started or at least once the league year began? Yes. He would have been on the market while people were still spending much more freely than they're spending now and before teams had addressed needs elsewhere. 
maybe the Jaguars would have been more interested in Dez than Dante Moncrief, for example. And the Cowboys needed to go out and sign guys like Alan Hearns with the impression that Dez is on the team, so there's less of a need. You have less leverage if you're Alan Hearns if the Cowboys have Dez Bryant in a contract, and the thinking was they're going to have him take a pay cut. So if people had known they were going to cut him, then that's how a guy like Alan Hearns would have had more leverage. So Dez got played a little bit. Now, here's the reality. And I don't know how reasonable this is in the fourth year of a five-year deal, but players do have devices available to them, and this is where the agents have to get creative and where the agents have to say, I want, for example, a clause that the contract for 2018 becomes fully guaranteed if Des Bryant is on the roster on the fifth day of the league year. Sometimes the teams just won't do that, especially this late into the deal. I don't know whether or not that request was made. I don't know whether or not the Cowboys said no. But that happens. There are protections. And Dominican Sue, for example, his contract with the Dolphins, first three years were fully guaranteed, year four, year five, year six. There was a clause requiring the Dolphins to make a move early because his contract each year would have become fully guaranteed, a rolling guarantee, year four, year five, year six. So if he's going to be on the market, he's on the market early, like he was, and he got $14 million. So, again, I don't know whether Dez tried to get it. I don't know whether the Cowboys said no. But that would have forced them to make a decision more quickly. I don't like the timing, but the Cowboys were within their rights. Does that make it right? I don't know. You could argue it does. You could argue it doesn't. And we'll see where Dez ends up. Speculation, he'll stay in the division. I don't want him to make an emotional decision. I love his emotion on the football field, but I don't know that an emotional decision is the best decision. I think he needs to find a quarterback who will trust that he's open even when he doesn't appear to be open. I'm not buying the narrative that Des Bryant has slipped, that he's lost a step, that he can't jump anymore. You know, this is lying season in the NFL, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Cowboys put that out there so their fans wouldn't go crazy when they cut Des Bryant. You let that out there, you let that bake in a little bit, and you got the fans thinking, well, he just doesn't have it anymore. We need to move on. And the bottom line is this. It doesn't matter whether he has it or hasn't got it. Dak Prescott wasn't a throwing to him. Wasn't throwing it to him. Wasn't throwing it to him. Dak Prescott and Des Bryant just didn't click the way that Des Bryant and Tony Romo did. And if I'm Dez, I want to go meet with a team and I want them to show me how they're going to use me. And I want them to pull up my film from last year, sitting in there elbow to elbow with the team's quarterback. And I want them to show me instances where the quarterback would say, hey, Dez, see this one? He didn't throw it to you. I'd throw it to you there. Hey, Dez, see this one? I know you look covered. I know you're open. I'd have thrown it to you there on your left shoulder. I'd have thrown it to you here low and away on the right side. I'd have thrown a jump ball to you here. This is how we'll do it here. And it's got to be authentic. It can't be a bullcrap sales pitch. It's got to be real. Because if Dez is sold one thing and he shows up and it's something else, it's not going to be good for anybody. Because Dez isn't going to be afraid to say, hey, guys, what the hell? Just be straight with me. And that's all anyone can expect. Just be straight with me. So I wouldn't rush into anything just to get revenge on the Cowboys. Pick a good spot where there's a high level of confidence that the quarterback will throw the ball. 
Whereas in other situations, like with Dak Prescott and maybe some other younger quarterbacks out there who don't trust when they see something that the guy really is open. You want somebody who will trust that Des Bryant is open, even if he doesn't look to be open. This Reuben Foster situation, I don't know. Have we gotten numb to this, to the reality that excuses are made for the stars and examples are made out of the scrubs? That's just the way it is. We've seen it over and over again. If Reuben Foster was the backup right tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, he'd be gone. No questions asked. He's a guy they invested a first-round pick in, a guy that they kind of bragged a little bit. John Lynch was a little braggy about it. I like John, but a little braggy about how they got him in the bottom of round one and he would have been possibly the third overall pick if the guy they took was gone after they had flip-flopped with the Bears. If the Bears had taken the guy that the 49ers took at two at, at three, if the Bears had taken him at two, then Reuben Foster may have been the guy at three. It's just very unfortunate. I'm not troubled by the marijuana issue. You know where I stand on that. I don't care if guys smoke. The league's got to get past that. It's legal in nine different states for recreational purposes. It's legal for medicinal purposes in 29 states. Let's get past that. I don't care about an arrest for marijuana possession in Alabama when if he was in Colorado or Washington or California or any other states where it's legal, it wouldn't have been an issue. But the domestic violence is a major problem. The domestic violence is the reason why the NFL changed their policy after Ray Rice. The domestic violence is the thing that the NFL has taken a stand against because the failure to take a proper stand against Ray Rice almost got the commissioner fired. The statement that was issued by the 49ers was as strong of a statement as I've seen from a team at this stage of a proceeding with no guilty plea, no conviction, no entry into a diversion program, nothing like that. It's just going to be tough for the 49ers to move on from a guy that was a first-round pick, a guy that is viewed as very talented. They got a tough spot here because somebody's going to give him a second chance because he's good enough. He's not going to be shunned the way Ray Rice was. After his situation is resolved, assuming he doesn't get up to 11 years in prison, and we know that those numbers we hear initially never happen. That's just the maximum potential charge. And if he's guilty of what he did, he should go away. But if he is available to play, if he's suspended by the NFL, and remember, Ezekiel Elliott, that travesty last year when he was suspended by the NFL, when he was never arrested, never charged, the NFL still suspended him, even though the recommendation from the investigator was not to suspend him. This is all about PR. We know that now. And you're going to have players who get tainted with that scarlet letter of domestic violence, even when the evidence wasn't sufficient to charge, wasn't sufficient to arrest, and may not even be sufficient to get a verdict in civil court. I still don't know what the standard is in the NFL court of common pleas. I think it's less than preponderance of the evidence. I think it's more like probable cause. That may not be an issue here because arrest, felony charges, serious situation for Ruben Foster. And the 49ers have to deal with the possibility that they cut Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster deals with the criminal justice system. Reuben Foster deals with the NFL justice system. 
Reuben Foster pays his debt to society, pays his debt to the NFL, and then a changed man, he signs with the Seahawks, the Rams, or the Cardinals. And the 49ers have to deal with him twice a year. But you know what? If you're the 49ers, you just can't worry about it. You rolled the dice. You took a chance on a guy where there was enough of a warning flag to make you wonder. The guy got sent home for the scouting combine for getting into some sort of an altercation with a healthcare worker. There was reason to believe that the guy has a short fuse. And I just wonder, Tuscaloosa, Tallahassee, Morgantown, Gainesville, the small towns where the football program dominates and the police maybe sometimes, we know what happened at the University of Florida, sometimes they look the other way. And sometimes there's some stuff out there that even the most diligent investigation would not uncover. So it's unfortunate across the board. If he's guilty, there needs to be justice served. And now the 49ers have a tough decision to make. I'm trying to think if I should add anything more to the Colin Kaepernick situation. I tried to explain as objectively as I could why taking into account whether or not someone will kneel or stand for the national anthem is not a proper question during a job interview. It's not a proper consideration when it comes to whether or not you're going to sign or not sign a player because the NFL gave players the right to protest. The NFL created it in 2009, confirmed it in 2016, reiterated it in 2017. It's that simple. And this is so different than most of the employment cases that come up because those rights have been given to the employees by the federal government or the state government or local officials that passed some sort of equivalent civil rights legislation. And that's what you always look at. When you're dealing with someone in a given jurisdiction, what federal law applies, what state law applies, what local law applies? Is there some city ordinance? Is there some state-level Human Rights Act? Is there something else that would prevent the employer from, from considering what otherwise is a protected factor? And you can get protected characteristics based upon how you were born, gender, race, national origin, what your religious practices are, whether you have a disability that you were either born with or you acquired, whether your employer views you as being disabled even if you're not, and there are certain types of protected activity. And again, most of these come from the government. This is one area where the NFL gave players the right to protest. They gave it to them, and now they want to take it away. The league gaveth, and team by team they taketh away. That's how they're trying to pull this off, so they don't have to bargain with the union. They don't want to bargain with the union because you sit down with the union and they say to the union, okay, we want to have a change to this policy that mandates standing. And the union says, okay, what's in it for us? What do we get? This is bargaining. This is how it works. We get something if you want something. The NFL made its own mess and now the NFL doesn't want to have to pay to clean up the mess. They want to do an end run around the mess. And I understand the cries of bad for business. Well, if it is bad for business, it's horrible for business that the NFL created this exhaust port on the Death Star. They wrote the policy poorly in 2009 when Colin Kaepernick first was spotted sitting for the anthem in 2016. They said players are encouraged to stand but not required to stand. And then last year when it all hit the fan, 
they said, the commissioner and John Mara, the Giants' co-owner, said to the union, the rights of the players to protest will be protected. They gave him that right. The right is meaningless if you don't hire somebody because they declined to say they won't exercise that right. And I, God, I, I, and I really, you know what? I don't know how I feel about the merits. People assume that I favor protesting during the anthem. I understand why players are doing it. And I think that it's done good from the perspective of bringing attention to the societal problems that the protests were sparked by. And I thought the best thing that Colin Kaepernick did, apart from flagging the issue, was explaining the issue. It's easier to hold a blow dryer in a beauty salon in California than it is to walk around with a gun as a licensed law enforcement official. And I did the research. He's right. And if I was a police officer, 20 years on the force, here comes my new partner, rookie straight out of the police academy or whatever forms you have to fill out and seminars you watch online to get licensed to carry around and potentially use deadly force. I'd want somebody who's properly trained. If I have an incident at my house, I want somebody who's properly trained to show up and deal with it. So Colin Kaepernick did a lot of good. Now, I understand the people who are offended by the perceived disrespect of the flag, the military, the country, and they won't hear anything other than it's offensive to me, it's offensive to the flag. It's I understand that. And I really don't know where I stand on it. I know when I'm at a sporting event and the national anthem plays, I stand, I put my hand over my heart and I take off my hat and I don't wear a hat. I leave on my toupee. But the challenge is to set aside whatever you think about the substantive issue and understand, right or wrong, the NFL gave the employees the right to protest. You can't give it to them and then fail to honor it. And there's other legal theories that would apply. I may write a follow-up at some point. I've seen some ideas on Twitter. I was talking to a lawyer today. There was another idea. There are other ways that you can approach this. And when you have something, and, and I, this was... I'm going to say this one last thing and then shut up. My experience when I was practicing law is if you give me a set of facts to evaluate and I have a sense that there's something unfair about it, there's something that seems based upon the fact pattern that you have given to me, that this seems unfair, there's usually a way. Sometimes you got to be creative. Sometimes you got to dig a little deep into the precedents, into the statutes, into the regulations, but usually there's something you can find to support an argument that legal rights were violated. And I know that when you walk into court, if you tell the story to the judge, and if you're able to tell the real story, because a lot of times the other side is going to tell lies and obfuscate and make ad hominem attacks and cover up the truth, because they know the truth screws them. If you can tell your story, the judge is going to find a way to give you justice. And when you boil this down to its essence, the NFL gave the players a right. The NFL confirmed the existence of that right. The NFL reiterated when it was the biggest story in sports and one of the biggest stories in the country, the existence of that right. You can't give that right 
and then take it away. You can't. There's one way to take it away at this point. You go to the Players Association and you say, we want to change this policy. They tried to do it indirectly. They tried to meet with the players and write a check and support various off-field causes aimed at addressing some of the concerns the players have. And that's admirable. But that doesn't make it go away. That doesn't make it right to say, hey, okay, fine. Now, we're still going to have the policy in place, but the policy is meaningless because we're going to look the other way while our teams violate the spirit of the policy. Because sure, you have the right to protest. Just don't dare exercise it or you're not going to have a job. And if you're interviewing for a job, don't dare say that you might exercise it because then you won't get the job. All right. Derwin James, one of the best defensive players in the draft, had a chance to talk to him earlier today. Here is my conversation with former Florida State safety Derwin James. A couple of years ago when Jalen Ramsey was drafted fifth overall out of Florida State, someone close to the Seminoles program told me the next guy may be even better. The next guy is Derwin James entering the draft in a couple of weeks. He joins us now. Derwin, welcome to the program. How are you? How y'all doing, man? Thank y'all for having me today. Hey, let, let me let me start there. Are you better than Jalen Ramsey? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're two different players, but of course I'm going to say I like myself, yeah. Well, well, and I know it's different positions, but you're both back there in that defensive secondary. How well do you know Jalen, and how much have you talked to him about what to expect through this whole pre-draft process? Uh, that's like my brother. Um, I talk to him um, every other day, um, and you know he's he's been helping me through this whole process. You know, ever since my freshman year, he's been helping me just get through college and helping me during this stage. So, you know, I got a lot of respect for him, and you know, he got a lot of respect for me. So he's like a big brother to me. What's the best advice he's given you? Uh, he said just enjoy it all because he say um, once you get to the next level, it's a business. So he say take it all in, soak it all in, all your visits, and just really enjoy meeting the different people and just take what everybody has different advice for you. So just take it in and, like I say, soak it in like a sponge. And you've been dealing with it for several months now. How much are you just looking forward, Derwin, to having this over with? Man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Like I said, it's once in a lifetime between I work my butt off, you know, to get here. So um, I'm really enjoying it, but I really want to play football. I wish it was tomorrow we start playing. So, you know, I'm, re- I'm ready to get back on the field and, you know, whatever team does draft me, I'm ready you know, to help contribute to the team right away. Well, you had the scouting combine in Indianapolis, pro day workouts. Where all have you visited as the draft approaches? Uh, I've just been to a couple spots in the top 10. I've been doing top 10, top 15 visits. Um, so I've been on like four or five visits. Um, all of them have been great. You you want to give us any hints or any, any, any local landmarks, Space Needle, anything it's, like that? Yeah, it's a surprise, man. It's a surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, I won't push it too hard. Um, we, we, and we assume it's going to be top five, top 10, top 15 by the time it's all said and done. Now, you went through a little rocky time in your second year at Florida State. You had an injury that caused a, a red shirt. Uh, how hard was that for you to have to deal with uh, having your football career derailed right when it was really starting to take off? Uh, you know, I, I battled through a lot of adversity during that time. You know, um, I had never really been injured in my career. Um ever since Pop Warner, never been injured like, like that. So it was kind of different for me, first time really having to get surgery. So, you know, it was kind of different just sitting back watching things, and, you know. And like you said, I was on the rise. You know, I was more comfortable coming in my sophomore year uh, with a lot of confidence. And, um, you know, I just battled – I had to battle through it. And, um, you know, it, it actually helped me, you know, get through the process, 
getting a better understanding for the game, you know, sitting back watching it with my coaches and just spending more time getting to know my teammates. So I feel like it actually helped me in the long run. You know, I hear that all the time as guys get ready to be out of football for a year, that it's going to be helpful to them. But your experience was taking that step back, taking it all in, it actually made you better prepared to hit a higher level when you came back on the field. Oh, yes, sir, because I wasn't one of those guys, you know, that get injured and, you know, stay away from the team and, you know, going to a shell. You know, I was always, I was still around the team, still going to all the team meetings, still, still traveling with the teams. Uh, I, I knew every every game plan, what we were doing every week, as if I was playing. I was still preparing like I was playing. So, I, I would, they, they, uh, my teammates and my coaches did a great job of, you know, making me feel like I was still out there, even though I wasn't physically out there. So, like I said, kind of helped me. You know, and injuries are part of the game, and everybody knows that when they cross the white line and go out onto the field. It's different, though, if you've been through one. Once you've been through something like that, Derwin, how hard is it to go back and just forget about it, understand the risk is there, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to play as hard as I have to and not worry about what could happen? I mean, uh, football is a dangerous game, man. You know, this is what you sign up for. So, you know, injuries are going to happen. You know, there's always going to be injuries, gnats uh, and bruises, but – you know, this is what you sign up for. You you can't let one injury, you know, stop you from achieving the goals that you have. Um, I know I didn't let it um, stop me. You know, it, just, it was just a minor setback for a major comeback. Um, so, you know, it just made me stronger, made me mentally stronger and physically more stronger. And, you know, I just had to focus on the little details more, just coming back, you know, building my muscles back how they was. But overall, after it was all over, I feel like, like I said, it, it helped me as a player. And now, now I got a better understanding for the game of football. When you came back better than ever last year, you came back so well that you've been compared to the great Sean Taylor. How do you react when you hear yourself compared to a player like Sean Taylor? I mean, Sean Taylor is one of my favorite states all the time. Safety, you know, that's a great comparison. Um, you know, we're kind of the same size, you know. Um, but, you know, Sean Taylor's great, man. Nobody can be Sean Taylor. I'm just really trying to be, you know, the best Derwin James that I can be, you know. It's a lot of, it's a lot of players, you know, um, people try to compare me to, but I'm really just trying to be the best Derwin James. Um, you know, so one day people can talk about talk about Derwin James. Well, and I tell you what, you look at the highlights of Derwin James, and you're going to be talking about Derwin James, and you can do it all. The big hits in the open field, the sacks of the quarterback, the interceptions. What do you think you do best? <laughs> what I think I do best, uh, man, I get this question a lot. Oh, man, I think I just play football best because, um, like you said, I can cover man-to-man on slots, number ones, on the tight ends. Um, I can rush the passer, and um, I can I can play deep in the middle of the field. It's just God blessed me with so many abilities to the point I don't I don't know I don't really know what I'm best at. You know I just I just say I'm just a football player, man. I just love the game, and whatever team uses me as, you know I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the best player that I can be. How much of it for you in college, Derwin, was instinct and having a feel for where the ball is going to be and where the ball carrier is going to be versus preparing, watching film and learning the patterns, the trends, so you can stay a step ahead of where that football is going to be? Uh, in college, uh, my freshman year, I have to say it was it was really off instance, um, just athletic ability, because I didn't really know everything I was doing. And then as I got older as a player, and especially after my sophomore year, I, I learned how to watch film better, and I learned like what people would be. So it kind of combined as both. And, you know, I try to not, as a player, I feel like I try to not rely on my athletic ability as much and, you know, just really have a better understanding because I feel like if you're prepared and you know what's coming coming towards you, you know, you can, you can react quicker. So really just knowing, knowing the situation, knowing what, how the offense is trying to attack me, you know, I feel like that has let my athletic ability take over. So I feel like, like I said, I feel like my best football is ahead of me. 
And, you know, every time you go up to the next level of the game, it changes, it's faster, it's different. What, what is it that you're thinking about consciously that, that you believe you need to do to improve so you will be ready for that next level? Oh, man, I think I really just need to um, improve on some of my angles and just, like you say, reacting quicker on, on certain things. When it's running, when I'm finning the run, just reacting quicker. Um, when I got to be deep in the middle of the field or playing half field, just being, like I say, being a step quicker, um, I feel like I, I kind of, you know, was a step slower. And I feel like once I see something, I just need to go, you know, and stop hesitating. And, you know, so I, I just feel like once I get get to doing that and, you know, seeing seeing veteran guys and being around pro guys that know how to be a pro, and, you know, take care of their body and how they how they watch film and really just try to pick their brains apart, I feel like I'll be, be a good player. I've heard you tell the story to Jim Rome about what a big Florida State fan you were growing up, and and basically it was something that for as far back as you can remember, you followed Florida State football, you picked Florida State, you went to Florida State. Was there an NFL team that you followed the same way when you were growing up? I was no, I was really more of a college guy. I like the college football more, but um, of course I grew up Central Florida. I was a Bucks fan. You know, they was about forty five hour hour away, so I grew, grew up watching. That old one Bucks team with John Lynch and all those guys there broke that team. I was a fan of that team, so you know. But I was really more of a college college type guy. But I, um, the Bucks was my team growing up. Do you wish at all that you got to pick the team you play for next, just like the same way you got to pick Florida State? I mean, it's kind of fun, you know, not knowing where you're gonna go. Like it's kind of like a surprise. It, it, it's like making it better because I know in college, like you get picked your school, and I committed in ninth grade. You know, I got it out of the way early. But I feel like this process makes you like fun because you don't know where you're going. You know, anything can happen. Um, I mean, one trade can mess mess up the whole draft. So it's kind of fun just being able to go through this process. Do you go on Madden and put yourself in all the different uniforms? Oh yeah, I do. I do that. Do you really? Ain't gonna lie. Ain't gonna lie. I've been doing that since a kid. Like, like I I probably got all 32 teams in by now. Like I've been doing that since a kid. Uh, playing special teams, playing safety, playing corner. One day I made myself a receiver. So I've been doing that a long time, man. A lot of years. Which uh, which t- which uniform do you look best in? I look better. I look best in all of them, man. <laughs> I look good in all of them to me. Now you say you you say you put yourself at receiver playing Madden. Is there a little Derwin James playing offense that could that could happen down the road? Yeah, man, I, I get on offense. I play offense my whole life. I really didn't start playing defense till like ninth grade. So I've always been an offensive player. I like the ball in my hand. I can make something happen with the ball in my hand. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. You know, like I said, whatever team I go to, I know they're going to use me in the best way they can. And hopefully we can win some games, win some, win some championships. Well, you don't have your NFL team yet, but you got some of your corporate teams. And this is part of what goes along with being a successful player. Adidas, Old Spice. Tell us what you have going on with them. Uh well I was um, one of the first rookies to sign with Adidas um I wanted to get it I like doing things early I like things getting things out of the way early um I signed with them before uh the combine the scout combine I got the old spice deal I got a bowls deal coming up um and um I got I, I got a lot of different deals coming up but I'm really you know just been taking in all my visits um my agent hasn't really told me everything that I have you know he says a lot of people calling you know want to do deals with me because. You know, I'm a great guy, a great marketable, marketable guy. You know, a lot of people want to deal with me, so, you know, so that's a, that's a plus. Hey, Derwin, you're 21 years old. You're not much older than my son, and I remember when I was that age, if I, if I had $5 in my pocket, I'd spend 10 
and you know you, you, you get a you get a you get a lot of money, and you got a lot of money that's coming in. What, what do you have a plan in place? Do you think about how your life is going to change when you look at that bank account online and you see all those commas and zeros there? I mean, it's just going to be a, a blessing. You know, I'm going to be able to do some things that I always want to do for my mom and my dad, for my family. But that's why I have a financial advisor. You know, so I don't go crazy. You know, they manage everything I do. So I have a financial advisor, agent, and everything set up in place. You know, for, for for things like that. But uh, I'm a, I'm gonna be comfortable. I'm gonna live comfortable. But like I say, you know, man, I want my kids, kids. I want it to be generational wealth. It's not just for me. So you know, I'm I'm not a guy that's just gonna blow everything. So. Well, Darwin, you got the right attitude. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I hope we can do this after you know who your NFL team is going to be. Yes, I look forward yes, to playing Madden next year when <laughs> Derwin James is in the game, hey, starting from hey, my Madden tell Ultimate Team. Yeah, tell them they need to have the speed and everything, the power and everything together, man. All right, and to learn more about Derwin, there is a Derwin James Know My Name coming up on NFL Network. We'll encourage everyone to check that out and check out Derwin James. You are going to be at the draft, right? Oh, yeah, I'm going, man. I'm going to be clean. You're going to know I'm there. Do you already have everything picked out that you're going to wear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm kind of stuck in between, but um, I'm, I'll be ready come draft day. What do you mean stuck in between? You got like five or six options? How many options you got? I got about four or five, man. I'm a, I'm a DB, man. I feel like every DB's got to have swag, man. Like, every DB's got to have swag. So, you know, you can't play DB and not have swag. So I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be clean come draft day. All right, buddy. Well, hey, we appreciate it very much. All the best and look forward to talking to you again down the road. All right. Thank you, man, for having me. Thanks to Derwin James and thanks to you for hanging with us. We've got just a few more minutes. I've got some questions to answer. Let's see what we got here. Hypothetically, if the Browns drafted Josh Rosen, this comes from at Andrew Yeh. If the Browns drafted Josh Rosen and Rosen decided to go back to college and re the draft next year, do the Browns receive compensation the following year? First of all, you can't go back to college. That ship has sailed. Once you declare for the draft, once you hire an agent, once you're in, you're out of college. He could sit out the whole year and re-enter the draft, and the Browns would get nothing. Case in point, Bo Jackson, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 1986. They drafted him. He didn't show up. The next year, he re-entered the draft. The Raiders took a late-round flyer on him, and the Raiders got the benefit of the guy who was the first overall pick the prior year. At Sham God, with season-ending injuries mounting for the incumbent NFL rookies with each interview conducted, would it take a perceived top-five pick to get injured for the NFL and the union to do something since this is a reactionary business? That would help, and that's a good question. That would help. When, When I received a text the other night that, the NC State defensive lineman tore his ACL working out for the Giants. I thought it was Bradley Chubb, not Kentavious Street. And I thought, uh-oh, this is the one. This is the one that's going to get everyone's attention. This is the one that's going to get people to change these policies, to provide real protections for these players who are expected under the guise of this job interview process that lasts four months. And they don't get paid. No, come provide entertainment for us on NFL Network. Provide free programming. We're going to make the money, and for you, it's just part of a job interview. Oh, your pro day workout. Oh, we're going to televise it. Oh, what do I get? Nothing. It's a job interview. More and more agents have been saying no private workouts. Now, the sad part is a lot of teams think the private workout is the most valuable thing they do because they do it privately. You can you can do different things that you're planning to do in the coming year. You can show pieces of your playbook. You can, you can do 
stuff that you otherwise don't want people to see from the standpoint of the way you do things. But at some point, you got to draw the line. And I can't wait for the day that a top recruit says, I'm not doing anything. I've already put in my free work at college. I'm done now. If you want to draft me, draft me. If you don't want to draft me, one of your competitors eventually will. So I think it is going to take a major incident, a major player injured during a private workout to, to really create pushback in this regard. At Thomas Berry, how did the Bears justify paying Allen Robinson what they paid him if they weren't willing to pay a fraction of that money to Cam Meredith? Worst case scenario, A-Rob gets hurt again, and then the Bears are in exactly the same position they were in last year. Love you. Love you too. Well, look, I was concerned about the decision to sign Allen Robinson because the Jaguars didn't keep him. The Jaguars know him better than anybody, and they didn't keep him. Now, with Cam Meredith, the Bears know him better than anybody. The Bears knew what they were doing when they applied the lowest level tender that provides no compensation if someone gives him an offer and they don't match it. So with Meredith, they knew. And that was an, remember, that was an ugly injury last year. Hopefully he comes back from it. But the Bears were more willing to roll the dice on Allen Robinson for a lot more money than Cam Meredith for a lot less money. And the truth is, if Allen Robinson's healthy, and if he's the guy he was in 2015, 1,400 yards in 2015, he was south by a few yards of 9216 and then last year was wiped out. If you get the 2015 Allen Robinson, you're, you're in, in pretty great shape if you're the Bears. But they are rolling the dice. See, I, there's a question for Derwin James, and I apologize. The tweet wasn't clear. New PFTPM coming featuring 10 minutes with Derwin James got questions. I had already taped it with Derwin James. I'm sorry if anybody took the time to ask a question for Derwin James. I should have made that more clear. At Sergio D, welcome back. Oh, hey, you're back. I don't know for how long, just for today. I had this Derwin James interview, and I didn't want to, I, I, I didn't want to deprive you of it. At CSS8800, if you played Belichick in Madden, would he hack into your system before the big game to learn your tendencies? Can you give us a Belichick playing Madden impression? Love the podcast. Uh, uh, X button. Uh, uh. Draw play. Draw play. Uh. First and ten. Um, what Y button? Y button? What's his button on top? Uh, that wasn't very good. At Shake and Blake 95, does the return of Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt make the Texans the AFC South favorites, or is it still the Jags? Look, I, you know how I feel about Deshaun Watson. I can't wait to see Deshaun Watson back out on the field. I was all over Deshaun Watson last year. He was an MVP candidate. After they played the Seahawks, Richard Sherman said, you did better against us than any quarterback has ever done. And they played Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. High praise. Now, here's the thing with the Texans. Somebody's getting injured. Whether it's Jadavian Clowney, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson. Somebody's getting injured. If they could ever keep all their stars healthy for one season... They'd be Super Bowl contenders. And at some point, you got to ask yourself, is it luck? Or is there something going on with our strength and conditioning staff? Is there an issue here? Are we not doing something the right way? Because I see guys every week. I sit next to Rodney Harrison in the NBC viewing room. And Rodney has 
plenty of skills, but one skill that he has in particular is the ability to watch eight or nine games at once and spot the potentially serious knee injury as it's happening. And when he does, he cries out and he hits me. And so many of those, he goes, watch this, watch this. And you see the replay and it's like, oh man. And the guy gets up and he's fine. So I think there's things that can be done to induce the right type of flexibility to allow guys to keep going. Now, some things it, it, it is, you're not going to be able to get up. It's a brutal, violent sport. But at some level, it's not just luck. And with the Texans at some point, I'd wonder, what's really going on here? Because it seems like every year it's clockwork. There's going to be a serious injury to a key player. At Stephen Wise 89, I've read Tony Dungy's book and followed his coaching and TV careers. And by all accounts, his faith appears authentic. Can, given all the time you spend with him during the season, can you share a story that supports this perception? Tony Dungy has a calm about him that permeates everything he does. He does not, when we're in that setting, he doesn't prophetize. He doesn't, he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. But he lives his life in a way that he's always calm. He's always genuine. He's always patient. I've never seen him upset. I rarely hear him say anything bad about someone. When he does, it is very well deserved. A couple of his sons will come with him from time to time to the studio. Jordan and Justin. Jason is start Jason's seven or eight now. Jason's been showing up more and more, and they love being there, and it's great when they're there. It's all, you know, when somebody brings their kids, it's it's fun. It's a fun day, and you got to pass football in the hall with them. It's fun. They eat all the candy. You got to be, I got to go stuff my pockets full of candy because I know the candy's going to be gone within five minutes. But they, they are very rambunctious, but boy, when he talks, they listen. And he doesn't have to talk very loudly to get them to listen. And, and the way he interacts with the kids, he shows a level of patience because sometimes they still don't listen or sometimes they try to listen. But you know how kids are, spilling stuff and rolling around on the floor. He's, he's very patient with his kids. And, uh, um, I, you know, I wish I had been that patient when my kid was being rambunctious when he was, when he was that age. So, uh, it, it, and again, it just, he exudes it. it it's a way that he is. That, you know, it makes you better being around it. You want to breathe that same air because you emerge from being around him feeling like maybe you're on a better path than you were on before you spent time. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. I don't know if anything I say makes any sense. All right. I got to, I got to, it's, it's toupee adjustment day. I've gone three weeks. It's getting a little, my toupee is getting a little long for fake hair. It grows fast. All right. Let's see what else we got here. At Raymoon0319, now what do the Cal persons do since Dez is out? We talked about that earlier. They got Allen. They don't have a number one receiver, though. They need to draft somebody. See, here's the thing. They, they had a decision to make. Do we wait to get rid of Dez after we draft someone? If you do that, you're taking the chance that at some point over the next two weeks in the offseason program, Dez gets injured and you owe him $12.5 million. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to play that game. But they've got to do something to upgrade the receiver position. And they know that. Or, or maybe not. Maybe it's Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott with that offensive line, and they'll make do with the receivers that they have. Maybe they're not going to have a number one receiver because you know what? The last two years, they really didn't have one anyway. They didn't have one that was producing like a number one receiver. So maybe they've outsmarted all of us. 
At Uncle Larry 112, do you expect grievances or lawsuits to be filed over teams asking if players will hashtag take a knee? Uh, um, <laughs> it could happen. And see, the union, people say, why isn't the union doing anything? Well, the union's only going to do what the players want the union to do. The union isn't going to go file a grievance against the Bengals because Mike Brown asked Eric Reed, are you going to kneel? Or words to that effect. Eric Reed has to want that. And it's possible. It's possible. We'll see what happens. At Terry Gensler, how do you deal with people attacking you the way you have recently? Most people wouldn't be able to handle that gracefully. I don't know that I handle attacks gracefully. Let me say this. I used to be a lot more combative than I am now. I've seen examples, high-profile examples of people who are inherently combative. And when you see that and you realize that's not really the way to be, it doesn't really benefit the person who's always combative, whose attitude is, I'm always going to fight back no matter who attacks me. Now, look, I, I can't say that I'm 100% blameless when I am attacked. And sometimes I go on the attack. I try to not make it personal. I try to confine my attack to the merits. I try not to call people names or come up with nicknames or make it an ad hominem attack. I will, I will challenge your argument on the merits. I will not come after you personally to try to back you into a corner to get you off your mark in an effort to win the argument. I'll argue with you on the merits. And if I feel like somebody does not want to argue on the merits, then I just won't pay any attention, which may answer some other questions that are floating around out there. Let's see what else we have. Oh, this is a good one. I Caro Franco. How much impact do you think the new helmet rule will have in the running back draft stock? Shouldn't the league have clarified it before the draft? Yes. My God, yes. We're going to find out in May. Well, you know what? Probably a good idea to find out in April before somebody uses the top five pick on Saquon Barkley. Hey, I Caro Franco, I'm going to steal that and write about it. That's a great question. The teams need to know whether or not the running game is being gutted. The between the tackles running game is being gutted before they use a top five pick on Saquon Barkley. That's a great point. At the Impact 99, what will the Titans do with those new uniforms now that Color Rush seems to be over? It's not over. It's over as a mandatory every Thursday night, thou shalt adhere to Color Rush. Teams can still do it as their alternative jersey, and apparently that's what the Titans are going to do, even though it's got that Smurf quality to it. All right, I got to run, and I appreciate everything. Appreciate you following ProFootballTalk.com. Thanks for listening to the PFTPM podcast. I, I Look, I'm trying to figure out whether to keep doing a podcast that is not adding to my bottom line. I don't like working for free, but... I spent, I don't know, the first four or five years of the existence of ProFootballTalk.com working for free, knowing that if I keep doing it, eventually I'm going to make some money off of it. And eventually, maybe that'll be my career and I can get away from practicing law, which given the way that I practiced law, it would have shortened my life because I put too much into it emotionally, physically, mentally. I like to practice alone and it's just too much of a burden. It's too much work and I'm glad I'm not doing it. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I'm not doing it. So I got to ask myself, do I keep doing this podcast and watch it grow slowly, 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 and maybe make some money off of it four or five years from now? 
So, I, again, you know, oh, I, I always, when people say things like this, oh, he's fishing for compliments. Oh, he wants somebody to pat him on the back. No, I, I don't know. Do people really want to hear this? I enjoy doing it, but I, I made a decision seven, eight years ago that if you're going to put time in, you need to get paid. Because if I'm not doing this, there's something else I could be doing that could result in an enhancement to, uh, you know, the bottom line. The American way. Capitalism, baby. Enjoy the weekend. Maybe we'll do this on Monday. Maybe. We'll see how the weekend goes. We will be working all weekend. It's not really work. You know that. Don't tell anybody or they will stop paying me. Profootballtalk.com is the website. Thank you for everything. We'll talk soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.